0: You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Okay, so um, Hebrews chapter six, verse four, and and uh, I'll I'll finish uh, verse. Well, I'll start with verse one, just as a reminder, kind of where we left off, because I hate jumping in the middle of something. But he says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be. And be taken forward to maturity, not laying on the foundation of repentance and acts that lead to death um, and faith in God, but instruction about cleansing rites or, you know, just a little note there that it actually says baptism in the Greek. I don't know why they put cleansing rites, but um, and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. You know, uh, I talked a lot about the importance of growing and continually advancing in the faith and adding to our learning. And, and uh, uh, it is interesting, though, that what he considers basic, what are the basic instructions or baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And uh, and that, those are the basics. Those are the basics of, of Christianity. Um, repentance. That, that's all the basics. So interesting the pers- to be able to see the perspective. So verse four, we start out uh, now our study for today. And he says, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. In their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that, that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So we get, um, we, 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 we get this teaching that he switches gears here from talking about growing and advancing in our faith and learning more. And then he says, one of the, I would say probably one of the scariest scriptures in the whole Bible. I mean, I've had people call me upset, crying even about this verse because they think, you know, because of what they think it implies, what it th- they think it's a saying. And and I'm going to say this, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 10, because it addresses the exact same subject. Both verses talk about falling away and and what happens, you know, when we fall away. and And, and it says some pretty strong things about it. You know, as I mentioned last week, you know, the, 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 it, there there's a popular teaching out there that's been around a few hundred years uh, that once you're a Christian, you can never fall away. Once saved, always saved is what it's oftentimes called. And which is really a ridiculous teaching, absolutely not biblical. And clearly the book of Hebrews makes that crystal clear. And you might say, well, you know, why, why would people come up with that if it's in the Bible? People come up with a lot of strange things. Even people who are supposed to be in the scriptures. It's why we always need to go to the Bible. It's why we need to know our Bibles. So we can detect, so we can catch, so we can notice false teachings because false teachings are like binds. They just grow in there. They grow in the church and they spread unless people are really grounded in the scriptures and they can detect it and they can notice it and they see it. And and some of the the people who promoted this idea didn't even really like the book of Hebrews. In fact, wanted to get rid of the book of Hebrews uh, because of the challenges, specifically because of this challenge, uh, several others, but this is one of the main reasons. Um, but he says it very clearly. It's impossible for those who've been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gifts shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age who have, and this is the words they use, fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Okay, and I know that raises lots of questions and fears and doubts. I'm gonna jump forward to chapter 10. This is where it's addressed again. um, And then we'll have dealt with this and we don't necessarily need to go back again when we get to chapter 10. But in chapter 10, verse 26, he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Okay, so that one's even strong. I would say even stronger. I mean, that one's probably the scariest scripture in the whole Bible, not because it's the strongest language, but because it's directed at Christians. You know, most of the condemnations and most of the threats and the promises of destruction are all geared at people who are rebelling against God, this is also geared to the people who are rebelling against God, but specifically to disciples. So it's a warning to us, very much, very much directed at us. You know, we read Old Testament scripture and we know that we're not the first audience. The first audience was the Jews who lived in that time. And we're not even necessarily the second audience, which was to all Jews. We're the third audience. It's to all people of God. Well, here, it's more like we're almost the first audience, because it's to disciples. Now, of course, it's written in the first century, so it's the first audience is Jewish Christians. But the second audience is us, Christians in general. And he says very specifically, if we deliberately, and that's a key word in this, it's a very important word, if we deliberately keep on sinning, okay, this is not... Oops, I fell into sin. This is not even I'm weak and I'm struggling with sin. This is I don't care. I'm doing it. I don't care what anybody says. And I'm doing it. That's more the deliberate that he's talking about. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. So Jesus is not going to get back up on the cross again. And, and there's not going to be any sacrifice that's going to wash your sins away. Not if you're deliberately sinning. Not if, you know, and, and, and this is important because there are a lot of people in our world who call themselves Christians and are out deliberately sinning. They don't care. They, they're not trying to stop. They're not trying to be righteous or pure. They think being a Christian is like being American or being Hispanic, or it's like your, it's my culture, it's my ethnicity, it's my background. They don't think of it as it's my conduct of life or it's my conviction or the way I live my life. They don't think of it that way. And that's why you, you, you know, I remember when I was younger, people would say, you know, if America is a Christian nation, boy, there's a, you know, a few non-Christians doing a lot of crime because there's a lot of crime in America. Well, obviously there's a lot of people running around calling themselves Christians that just simply aren't. They're not trying to live the life of Jesus. They're not trying to be disciples. One of the reasons why if you are just tuning into these, these podcasts and you notice, now well, he uses the word disciple a lot. We use disciple in our church because it's very intentional. It's very specific. It's, I have decided to follow Jesus. That makes me a disciple versus people saying the word Christian, meaning I believe in Jesus. There's a big difference. And Jesus didn't call us to just be Christians. He called us specifically to be disciples. In fact, the word Christian is what other people called them. It was a title given to them, not the word Jesus used. Jesus used the word disciple, which is an intentional way of life that I choose to follow Jesus. So obviously if somebody's living intentionally following Jesus, they're not going to deliberately sin. But it does happen to disciples that we get in a bad place. We get distant from God and then we get kind of a rebellion going in our hearts and we just decide, I'm doing whatever I want to do. And they go out and, 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 specific, well, exactly what it says, deliberately keep on sinning. And, but it also shows us how God feels about this. I mean, he says that, um, there's no sacrifice for them anymore. He says only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I mean, that is a threat. That is a scary threat. You know, basically he's saying what you got coming is worse. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it's, it's understandable because, um, when a when someone says they're a christian and then they're out lying and stealing and and hurting people and acting lustful or, or being, you know, with a dirty mouth and cussing and saying stuff well that's hypocrisy and that's it's repulsive even to non-christians i mean people hate hypocrites and if you're going to say you're something then be it but don't say you're something and then live totally opposite of that. If you're, if you're gonna live like a non-Christian, then say I'm a non-Christian. If you're, if you're gonna live like a Christian, then live like a Christian. You know, which does not mean you're perfect by any means. And this certainly doesn't mean that Christians don't fall into sin. Christians fall into sin all the time, regularly, but they fall into it. They don't seek it out, plan on it, and have a hard heart about it. A disciple of Jesus tries not to and avoids it. And, and I understand it's, it's hard to discern the matters of the heart. Like at what point does it cross over from being weakness to rebellion? You know, at what point somebody goes, buys drugs. At what point did they just harden their heart and deliberately sin? Or when, when is it just they're giving into their weakness? That's a difficult thing. But let me tell you something. God can discern it we can't necessarily always discern it. We judge according to what we see, according to what somebody does the best that we can. But God knows the heart and God knows when that line is crossed, when it goes from weakness to deliberate sin, he knows it. So we don't have to worry about, you know, uh, whether, whether or not. Now, you know, he, again, he's, he's expressing his feeling towards it. They, they have the raging fire to expect from God. He says, anyone, he explains it even more. He says, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he's, he's referring to the Old Testament. He said, in the Old Testament, if somebody rejected the law, it, all it takes is, is a couple of witnesses to, to clarify that and they're punished, right? He said, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Who has trampled the son of God underfoot. That's God's perspective. You know, it's uh, typically, if we hear somebody say something like that, we think, oh, that's hyperbole. They're just, you know, trying to make it sound bad. No, no, this is how God sees it. He says, he says, they, they've, they have trampled the son of God underfoot who has treated an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them who has treated the blood of Jesus, you know, the communion cup we take, who has treated it as an unholy thing by sinning, by deliberately sinning. He has insulted the spirit of grace. I mean, this you never want to do. You never want to insult the spirit of grace. What is the spirit of grace? The spirit of grace is God's compassion and that he forgives And he doesn't treat us according to our sins. And he's gracious. He's very forgiving and understanding. You don't want to abuse that ever. You never want to abuse his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And he says, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, that's just. Straight up, scary warning. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, basically, you know, sometimes we see people who claim to be Christians or claim to be disciples. And they're not acting like it. And they're being uh, hypocrites. And it makes us mad or makes us burn inside. Or we feel like, doggone it, that's not right. And it isn't right. But let me tell you something, nobody gets away with anything. God holds everybody, including me, including you, accountable for our lives. I mean, the Bible says, even for every word we say, we're all held accountable. So as disciples, we want to stay in the path of Jesus, because on that path, we're under God's grace, his mercy, and his kindness. So even though we're guilty, and even though we mess up, we're not treating according to that. But we get off that path. We deliberately sin. We are absolutely accountable for everything we've said, everything we've done. And it is a dreadful thing to be in the hands of that God, our God. So he will deal with people. You don't have to worry about anybody getting away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. God will not be mocked. He sees it. He knows what we're doing. So back to chapter six, and you see how they tie together. They're very much... Uh, and so, but really one talks about deliberate, being deliberate. And one talks about continual, you know, that if we just keep on sinning and we just, and we don't stop ourselves. We don't repent. Then that is a very bad thing. So I'm going to read it again because now you can see how they tie together. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, you know, somebody who's become a Christian and they know how good God is. They know how gracious and merciful and kind he is, who, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, man, they've gotten the help from God, they've got the Spirit in them, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Now, this is the part that's really scary to people is that, well, that means they're condemned, they never can come back. There is no more sacrifice and they can't be brought back to repentance. So, so does that mean that everybody who's fallen away, that we call fallaways, or we say fall away, can never come back? No, it doesn't mean that. They say, well, how, wait, wait, explain that. Let me explain it. Uh, is, is, we know that it doesn't mean that because that everybody who's walked away is going to hell and can never come back, because there are parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, but Jesus goes, I mean, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Right. All those loss are fallaways. They they have fallen away, especially specifically the people Jesus was talking about because they were Jews who walked away from God. They weren't like ignorant pagans. And there's a whole nother study that we'll do actually in the book of Hebrews, the difference between knowing what sin is and and sinning without knowing that it's a sin. So knowledgeable sin and ignorant sin. There is a difference. These people that Jesus is addressing in the Gospels Are people who knew what was right? They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the law. They knew what the what the Bible teaches, and yet they turned their backs on Him. Matthew, the very the one of the great, the very writer of the Gospel of Matthew, the Apostle himself, was a fallaway. Basically, was Jesus came after him, reached out to him, and brought him back. and And there are many scriptures about reaching out to those and saving those who are falling away, basically pulling them back into the flock. And and even, you know, advice about being careful not to fall into the same sins. So we know that you can pull people back. So how do you know when they've crossed this point of no return? We know from this scripture there is a point of no return. There is a point where somebody falls away, they're never coming back. Well, how do you know? Well, their actions will tell you. If they're at church and they are fall away, trying to come back, they haven't reached that point. Clearly, they're still trying to repent. They're trying to come back and repent. How do you know when they've reached a point of no repentance? Well, because they don't repent and they won't repent. There is a point, there's a line out there that once you cross, there's no coming back. So, well, what does that mean? That means that there's, there's, there's an area where somebody is not living a right life, but they're not beyond the point of return. That's true. There are people, and, and, and think about it. Peter himself was at that point. He denied Jesus Three times he denied Jesus. At that time, he was basically a fall away. He, he had fallen away from grace. He had fallen away from Jesus. He was holding back. All the apostles took off running. So you understand why they have grace, why they're so gracious, because they all understood what it meant to fail Jesus, right? And yet they were all restored. And, and Jesus himself came and restored Jesus to his apostleship. I'm sorry, restored Peter to being his apostle again. You remember the whole scene where he asked him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know, Lord, I love you. And that whole thing. What was that all about? That was Jesus restoring Peter back to being a disciple, back to being an apostle. So that area is, in a sense, the last chance to fight for somebody. And then they reach a point where there is no return. And there's only a fearful expectation of the raging fire of God. And it is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of God. So if if you're somebody who's out there right now and you're not doing well, you need to get home. You need to get back. You need to repent and come on back. If you're thinking of somebody you love that's walked away and living the worldly life again, go after them. Try to pull them back. Try to get them to repent and get back with Jesus because they're insulting the blood of Jesus. They're insulting the, the grace that God has given us, And but there's still hope for them. Now, at some point, they cross the line, and there's no hope for them, and all they have is the raging fire of God waiting for them. So it's a very serious thing. It's no light thing. It's probably one of the most serious things in the entire New Testament. But it's important that we understand that because that's what I meant when I said at the beginning that I've had people call me crying saying, does this mean I can never come back? No, if you're trying to come back, then clearly you're still in that, you're still in that area where you can come back. If you're not even, the person who's crossed that line, they're not even trying. They don't want to come. They have nothing to do with this and they never will. And they've they've reached that point where it's deliberate, it's continual and they're not coming back. You know, he says it's impossible for them to come back. There's actually several times that, that Hebrews tells us something's impossible. In 6-4, it's impossible to, uh, to, the one we just read, to repent and, or to fall away and, and, and then repent and come back once you cross that line. In 18, it says it's impossible for God to lie. God will never lie. In chapter 10, verse 14, it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to remove your sin. Only Jesus' blood can do that. In 11.6, it's impossible uh, to please God without faith. It's impossible. You can't. If you're faithless and you have no faith, you cannot please God. You have to have faith. So those are the the impossibles of the book of Hebrews. And, and, and he even describes what this life is. He says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom its farm receives the blessing of God. You know, in other words, if we, we receive all these teaching, all this help, you know, we as disciples, we have church, we have Bible studies, we have devos, we have, we get all kinds of help from God to live a godly life. And we're supposed to produce the fruit from it, helping others to become Christians, helping others to do well in the faith and and produce something out of it. Something good is supposed to come out of that. But then he says, but then the land that receives that rain and produces no fruit. In other words, it doesn't give. He says it's worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. In other words, we don't want to be a fruitless disciple. We don't want to be somebody who bears no fruit, who doesn't give back, basically. A dead-end disciple. You know, that, that nothing happens after that person became a Christian. Because they're not giving back anything. They're not reaching out. They're not bearing any fruit. We don't want to be that person. Um, he says, it will be cursed. In the end, it will be burned. He says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, I mean, this is pretty heavy speak speech. Imagine you're sitting there and somebody's reading this to you or somebody's preaching this to you. Well, you don't have to imagine too hard because it's kind of what's happening right now, right? But imagine this being specifically said to you as a follower. away. This is pretty heavy. It's pretty intense. And he says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, We are convinced of better things in your case. And again, that, you know, the Hebrew writer, he's, he's encouraging or she is encouraging the audience saying, look, we expect better from you. He says, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for Maybe fully realized. You know, sometimes, um, it's a strange thing. Sometimes we serve, we give, we serve, we give over the years. I mean, I've been a Christian 38 years. That's a lot of serving, a lot of giving, a lot of helping, a lot of, you know, doing things for people. Sometimes Satan can play on us, on our hearts and, and, and get us to think that, you know, you fool. All these years, you've given so much money away. Imagine if you had all that money from all those missions collections or imagine if if you wouldn't given so much to the church or imagine if you didn't spend so much of your life helping other people if you would have spent that on yourself how much ahead you would be and satan likes to make us feel bad about ourselves he even likes to make us feel bad about doing good and like we're stupid or something but he says look god is not unjust you know he he will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as as you have helped his people, which is a cool insight of how do you love God? Helping his people. And continue to help them. Now you didn't help them before, but then you got burned out and now you don't help anybody. No, this is you helped them before and you continue to help them. And that and and, and what I appreciate so much about older Christians is people who are older and serving and giving and sacrificing is I know that over the years they've been hurt. They've been disappointed. There have been people that they served that turned around and attacked them and criticized them. There are people that they gave to and gave to who never said thank you, who never was appreci- were appreciative, who were critical and judgmental. And, and yet they didn't give up and they didn't stop giving. They kept giving and giving and giving. I appreciate that so much about the Bible talk leaders. I think some of us have to listen to that because we're, we stopped giving somewhere along the line. We pulled back our giving. And we, we're just not that generous anymore. Not with our time, not with our money, not with our talents, not with our abilities. And we're holding back on God. And we need to be really careful about that because God will not be mocked. God is not unjust. He's watching. He knows. He knows if we're being generous with him or not. He knows. He knows if we're holding back on him. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They gave a lot of money to the church and they died. Wait, what? Because they lied, they held back, and they lied about it. And and they were being deceitful. They were acting like they were giving it all, but they weren't. And God knows, he's not stupid. God knows what we do and what we don't do, whether we're holding back on our hearts or we're giving with all our hearts. He says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. You know, he wants, he said, stay faithful, stay generous, stay giving, stay diligent all the way to the end. Because you have this hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of salvation, the hope of entering God's rest, the hope of God's blessings. If you stay faithful all the way to the end, don't lose your hope. Don't be hopeless. Hang in there. Keep on keeping on is basically what he's saying. He says, we not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Don't, don't get lazy now. I mean, you worked so hard for the Lord before. Don't get lazy now, pull back and nah, I'm only going to give so much. I'm not going to be a hundred percent. You got to stay a hundred percent with God. It's a hundred percent or zero percent. There's no negotiating. There's no, you know, I'll give half my time or half my love or half my heart. Not if you understand that life is like that and eternity is eternity. It's huge. It's huge. Imagine if I had a rope that was a 100 yards long and I show you the first inch, that's your life. The next 99 feet, 11 inches, that's your time with God. So, are you going to put everything into that half inch, or are you going to put everything into your 99.9% time with God? That's what he's saying. Don't don't pull back. Um, we'll inherit what has been promised, and a lot of good things have been promised by God. And God, I tell you something: of somebody who's been a Christian 38 years, he never breaks his promises. He's always faithful to his promises. So then we have another shift, and it says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there were no one, there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Okay. And it says waiting patiently. Uh, I think that's a euphemism (laughs) for waiting faithfully, you know, patience and faithfulness are connected, right? Being patient is being faithful that you remember he was only 75 when he was given these promises and he was a hundred by time, by time they were fulfilled. Um, And, you know, God made a lot of great promises and Abraham left with nothing in danger and everything. And he ended with a family, with wealth, with power, with authority, with all these great promises, but he had to stay faithful a long time and he had to be faithful in the light of impossibility In the face of impossibility and for a very long time, patience is a huge part of being faithful. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms that what is said, but puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we hope We of, excuse me, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set us, set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunners, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that whole that whole section is basically just confirming how solid is this promise. How solid is the hope that we have. It is totally solid. He said, people swear by someone greater than themselves. There's no one greater than God, so he swears by him, his own self, right? That he, he promises on his own character, on his own nature. This is the beauty of, of a relationship with God. God's love is not based on you or your actions or what you do or produce or don't produce. It's based on him who is eternal and unchanging. God's promises are not based on you. They're based on him and who he is and his unchanging nature. And God will give us this hope and the promise of that hope based on him, not based on us. And so it's, it's as solid as it can be. Now that doesn't mean we don't, we can't reject it. We can reject it. And that's what that earlier warning was. But we don't have to worry about was God really going to do what God promised? Absolutely He will. Is our God really going to bless you in the end if you stay faithful all the way? Absolutely He will. On that day, we'll all see and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. But you know, the truth is, I mean, just as a, as a brother, I would tell you that that I've seen so many of God's promises already fulfilled in my life. I have no reason to doubt God, none whatsoever. I mean, you know, if somebody says they're going to do something for you and they've done it 25 times, at some point you just got to believe them. You just believe them. They're going to keep doing it because they've proven their track record is faithful. And they do this again and again and again and again. That's the way it is for me and God. I had, I have no reason to ever doubt God. And neither do you. We all can trust God. He has been faithful in his promises. Now, I will say this just as a side note, because I know sometimes we, we think, well, yeah, but I asked God for, you know, red Maserati and I never got it. That, that's not, that wasn't his promise. Okay. So just, we got to be sure we're talking about his promises, not our wish list. So, um, but God is absolutely faithful. And God will do it. And he, and he love how he closes it. He says he has become a high priest, talking about Jesus, forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, we we saw we've seen this before, right? And we already talked about it. That Melchizedek was appointed by God, not a descendant of Aaron, and the others were appointed because they were the sons of Aaron. He was appointed specifically by God, and Jesus was appointed specifically by God to be our high priest the one who represents us to God and represents God to us. So we have the most awesome, awesome. And next chapter, we'll get into Melchizedek, the, the one that everybody wants to know more about. Um, and we'll do that next week. But that's chapter six, Hebrews. What an awesome book. God bless you. Hope you have a great day today. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.